When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to a Score North podcast right now, and if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form, and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. It's Purple Daily. All right, welcome back. It's hour number two of Purple Daily. Matthew Collar and joining me on the line is Sage Rosenfels. And my understanding, Sage, is that you have taken copious notes about this preseason game to the point where I'm a little concerned about you that you would spend this much time analyzing and breaking down a preseason game. Well, there's a lot that went on in this game, I thought, and, and uh, obviously a lot of players are, are, are played in the game, uh, and you know people are fighting for roster spots. We're getting down to the wire here, and, and you know I'm a man of the preseason, right? So it's important <laughs> to me, and it's always uh, whether it's the whether it's the starters and how they perform, right? You want a, an offense that executes on that first drive. There's nothing worse than you know going three and out on a third and fifteen or a fourth and 15 on the first drive, right? So you want to see execution by the, by the, uh, the veterans. Uh, you want to see execution by some of these young guys or certain things. Even when you, when you watch, uh, the youngest players, so the youngest offensive line, some of the run game scheme, you yeah, obviously, you know, the varsity, they're doing the same thing, right? So, uh, you, you see some of the scheme action and, and, you know, what's Kevin Stefanski's offense, Clint Kub or Gary Kubiak and Clint Kubiak, you know, what are these guys coaching with the quarterbacks? And there is a battle slower. And Manning for that number two spot. And I thought that heated up last night pretty good. Those guys are, you know, playing like it's regular season. So uh, I'm going to cover it like it's regular season. I have tried my hardest to avoid Kyle Sloter and Sean Mannion debates because there hasn't been one. I mean, Sean Mannion has been the number two the entire time. And I wasn't even sure if Kyle Sloter would keep his job over Jake Browning. But the fact that Jake Browning didn't play last night gives us an answer to that. Kyle Sloter did it again. He comes out and goes 11 for 13, a touchdown, 116 yards, a 129 rating. Maybe maybe we should just start there and just get it out of the way, Sage, because I don't want to talk about the number three quarterback any more than I have to. But it is amazing how this guy comes in every third quarter of every preseason game and just lights it up well you know maybe he ends up having a 12-year nfl career i mean i i maybe i have an affinity for a a young guy who's raw come out of college and just sort of seems to play well in the preseason doesn't practice well necessarily uh really good athletes and uh and just you know that the she's trying to play so well so the team can't cut him you know, I mean, that's the thing to do, uh, is just so place those thinking well in the preseason that the team would go, well, if we cut him, 
I'm trying to put him on practice squad. Somebody else will pick him up because he played so well. So uh, I will say this, you know, he reminds me uh, a little bit of Jake Plummer. That's who he reminds me of. I, I was sort of thinking about it, like, who is this guy like? And, and he's, he's a wiry athlete like Jake Plummer was actually a 6'2", not much more than 200 pounds, I think. Maybe less. And, and he was sort of skinny, but he was super athletic. He was fast. Uh, he could throw on the run. Uh, and just sort of make plays uh, and be a pretty good quarterback. And that is a perfect fit in this offense. I mean, this offense goes back uh, to those Denver Bronco days and Mike Shanahan, Gary Kubiak, his offensive coordinator, before Kubes went to the Houston Texans. And so Sloter fits really, really well in this offense. He's raw. He's not a pure pocket passer. He just sort of makes plays sometimes. Uh, but he was accurate last night on an, an array of throws on slants. On, uh, you know, dagger routes, uh, you know, throws on the run. Uh, he did a really, really nice job. And, you know, you, you don't get uh, to have a choice of, you know, I want to play the whole game and get 40 throws or 50 throws or whatever. You only get the, the reps that you get. And he just seems to make the most of them every time he steps on the field. I just don't know what I'm supposed to do with this in the context of the team, though, Sage. I mean, it's very clear to me since Sean Mannion has taken all the reps the entire time throughout, um, training camp going back to OTAs there were some splitting but in all of training camp it's been number twos and in in the first two preseason game it's been the number twos for Sean Mannion and my guess is that it will be um, in the third preseason game Gary Kubiak said that he loved the job Sean Mannion was doing as the backup and I mean, in a way, I sit here like it's a classic preseason thing for us to break down the number three quarterback, but I can't deny that it is remarkable the numbers he puts up. But my my theory on this age is that by the time you've gotten to the number three um, defensive backs, the number three defensive linemen, there are very few times that Kyle Sloter has any type of pressure on him at all and any type of overly complex defense or shut down corners or anything like that. Like he's not throwing into any tight windows. They're running play actions and rolling them out all the time. I mean, I just think the circumstances are set up for if you're even halfway decent at this, you can shred third team defenses. Yeah, but he's also dealing with third team offenses. He's dealing with the third team offensive line and guys that rarely even play together. These guys barely even get any reps. You know, a lot of times, uh, on an NFL practice, you, you go in these groups of 10 plays. And so it's like four, four and two. So the third string guys get two plays and sometimes they just end up going five and five and the third string guys don't get anything. And maybe they get sprinkled in with the twos here and there. Uh, so, you know, he's playing with a, with a tough hand as well. And he's making the most of it. So the only reason I really want to talk about the third string quarterback or even the backup quarterback before we get to the starters who started the game, I think we're going to go in reverse order today, uh, and how the game went. But, uh, you know, if Kirk Cousins gets hurt, all right, now we're talking about Sean Mannion's going to play fine, right? Sean Mannion could play well, all right? And, and the Vikings keep winning and, and, and all's good. Sean Mannion could play poorly and we go, okay, well, do we have another guy that maybe we could, you know, win with if Sean's gone, 0, you know, 0 for 3 in his first three starts. And maybe Sloter's a, you know, a, just a, a different changeup when we have another option. Really, it's, you know, sort of like another backup option. Mm-hmm. That uh, maybe the guy could play well enough uh, to squeak out a win. He does have a style of football that he seems to, uh, you know, as we always say, you know, makes the offensive line a little bit better. He's such a good athlete. He sort of gets out of trouble. He, he makes enough plays, and he made some throws last night to that were sort of, you know, starter type throws. A slant on the third and five on about the eight yard line down to the one or the two. 
uh, was a nice play, right? So he's doing some good things. I just think it's good for the, for the Vikings in general, uh, to have a third string quarterback that is executing a high level and a, and a number two guy. I thought Sean Mannion, uh, you know, played pretty well last night. And, and you know, we want to get into the interception, uh, that was returned for a touchdown. I ha- I'm happy to get into that. So I think it's pretty good that the, both the Vikings backups are playing pretty well right now. And I thought Browner actually played pretty well in that first game in his limited snaps. Well, I, I, I do think that, um, Sloter has played himself into a job here. He had a, almost like a chance to lose his job, but not a chance to ever win the number two. It was, can you win back your number three position? And so far he's done that. And unless he melts down in the next two games, he's probably going to be on this roster because the Vikings seem to always want to keep a number three. Now, explain. So, by the way, if you, if you go, if you go into my career, all right, starting off, I was the number three guy my rookie year behind Jeff George and Tony Banks. And then this number Jeff two George, year, I was man. behind, I was behind Jay Fiedler and Ray Lucas. All right. Uh, and I was, you know, supposed to try to maybe challenge, you know, for that second guy. My, my next year, uh, I was behind, uh, Jay Fiedler and, and Brian Greasy. Okay. So like I was that number three guy who didn't always have a chance to move up either. You know, mm-hmm. I wasn't going to beat out Brian Greasy. He had gone to the pole bowl like three years earlier or two years earlier with the Denver Broncos before hurting his shoulder, we signed to be a backup to Jay Fiedler, right? So that was a one, two, and I was sort of like that third guy. But, you know, over time, and then, boom, you get into enough games or you beat somebody out during a training camp, uh, and you end up being a number two guy. And, you know, shoot, maybe he ends up being a number two guy for the Vikings for the next 10 years. That would be great. Uh, okay, but I want you to explain to people who see – Kyle Sloter play really well in the third and fourth quarter of these games. Why Sean Mannion would be the backup instead? Because after the pick six, which we I can't, I will talk about more, it's not necessarily Sean Mannion's fault that the, the pick six happened, but um, th- why th- they would be clearly ahead on Sean Mannion with almost no competition really whatsoever between these two. It's not like they've been splitting reps or anything else like that. Like It's been Mannion the number two, and it's it's hard to explain sometimes from my position to say, look, I mean, they practice every single day. There are way more practices than there are games, and there are meetings, and there are, you know, all sorts of things that um, we don't get to see necessarily. So the way that we judge it is kind of what the team thinks by who they're giving the reps to, and clearly they see more with Sean Mannion than Kyle Sloter. Yes, I think this is exactly right. I I think Sloter is not a great practice player, is my assumption. You know, he's... Um, not as polished. You know, I bet Kirk Cousins is a great practice player, right? You know, when he's not getting the pressure and uh, the defense isn't allowed to touch him, and they might make force move in the pocket a little bit, but he's not going to get hit. And I bet you he completes 90% of his balls in practice. So, uh, you know, it, it takes time to become a good practice player. Uh, it takes, you know, consistent footwork and timing and you know, to be able to become a really good thrower. You know, Kubiak and, and coordinators and good head coaches I was always around would sort of say, you know, a practice goes as the quarterback goes. And if there's a lot of balls in the ground, uh, it wasn't a good, clean practice. And so you got to become a consistent thrower. Maybe Slayer's not, not like that in practice, but he is like that in games. And so for coaches, you know, they really, they go off the practice stuff because you need to know consistently what is this guy going to give us every, every single day, every single game. Uh, and maybe, you know, Slaughter, they don't always know because they don't see that consistency in practice. So Mannion, I think, has done a nice job. I, my guess is he's, a, he's also, you know, good in practice and throws a really nice ball, did through some nice throws on, on, uh, some out routes last night, mm-hmm. you know, one on about the two yard line. That's a, you know, when you're, when you're, you know, the ball on the six yard line and, and, and they call 
Omaha, which are the quick outs, uh, you don't have much space there between your receiver and the DB. It's going to be a tight throw, but it could be a touchdown. So he made a really nice throw there, made a couple nice throws on some third downs. Made a great throw uh, to the running back on the halfback option versus Sam Mike Blitz to Mike Boone, who's having a phenomenal uh, preseason. Again, yeah. I thought he played well last year, too. Another guy which I'd like to talk about today. So uh, Manny did some really nice things in the ballgame. The interception is sort of the thing that everyone points to. Uh, and if we want to get into it, that was at what they call a, that was a flanker drive. So as a, as the Z receiver, Chad Beebe come across the field on a five or six shallow crossing route. That route has man zone principles versus man to man. He is supposed to stay on the move versus zone. Uh, in particular, when someone's out in front of him in zone or he's running, the will linebackers drop back and he can see that you don't want to run through a zone that, that makes for a headache. So what you do is you get to the, uh, the, the opposite tight end area. If there's a tight on the opposite side, you get to that area. You don't look at the quarterback until you throw in the brakes, you stop, you look at the quarterback, and you throw up your hands, and he throws you the football. And it all should time up with a nice seven-step drop, right? So what happened in the game was Manny was getting a little bit of pressure. It was man-to-man coverage. There was nobody out in front uh, of the uh, of, of the wide receiver, really. Um, and But but BB must have read zone or saw zone or something. He hooked it up. Manny was getting pressure, decided to, to, you know, sort of give it a chance, throw it on the run or throw it out in front of him and I'm going right to the defense. And so that is, that at the end of the day, uh, you know, as it was what Stefanski would say to that, what it would say to Sean Manny this morning is the ball is in your hands. You have that responsibility. Okay. So the, the receiver never didn't look at the quarterback as he was running. You're looking, you're booking as what is what they always say. So. Mm-hmm. The Chad Beebe did, ran a nice route. He went across the field. He threw in the brakes, looked at the quarterback. Ball is already gone. So you can call it miscommunication. At the end of the day, the ball is in uh, Sean, Mannion, Sean Mannion's hand. But it was, from what I could see, it looked like it was man-to-man coverage, which Beebe should have stayed on the run, and that would have been a completion. You know where the confusion might have been, because I've got the play up here, is they run out of a bunch formation on that play. And it really seems to work. You know, the bunch formation where they've got guys going different directions and you've got the outside guy coming over the middle with BB and he's just open. And maybe. Yeah, they're basically, they're basically setting picks for BB's guy who I, I believe is the outside receiver in that bunch formation. So those inside two guys are, are, uh, setting picks or whatever and the DBs get lost in the shuffle sometimes. Right. So I think BB felt nobody around him. Yes. Didn't feel somebody on his tail, so he's like, "Oh, this is zone, yes. right?" So that is one of those veteran things of, you know, as they would say, collect information as you're running your routes, in particular those crossing routes. Yep. You can, you know, pre-snap. It's important. Can you tell it's manners? You can't always tell in those bunches. Just a bunch of DBs standing there. You don't always know what's manners, especially if you're a younger guy. So collect information as you run across the field. If you see guys scattered, you see the linebackers eyeing up people probably good chance it's man-to-man coverage that's what it looked like to me uh but bb you know saw that just sort of space and and hooked up and obviously Mannion he read man coverage so those two guys gotta get on the same page at the end of the day the ball is in the quarterback's hand now if i'm not mistaken i'm looking at this and, and just by the defensive formation which doesn't always tell you but it looks like he should be able to figure out from that that it's going to be the pattern match man-to-man coverage. Like if the inside guy goes in, then you stay with him. If the you know if he goes out, then the other guy takes him. That sort of thing. And look at you, look at you. I know I've been learning from my journeyman <laughs> friends, well, right? But but I, I think that BB should know right at the line of scrimmage what this well, coverage is. 
So there you go. And, and what happens is when a quarterback doesn't read his, read his DB correctly and a DB, or I'm sorry, doesn't read his receiver correctly and a receiver doesn't read the defense correctly, it ends up being a pick six the other way, uh, touchdown for the Seattle Seahawks. And so that's the stuff that, you know, practice is one thing, but game experience, when the lights are on, you're playing in front of 68,000 people uh, on national television and, and uh, uh, Tony Gonzalez is over there with uh, Carissa Thompson, and they're talking <laughs> about. I mean, right? It, it's yeah. It was the game. Of, it was sort of the game of the week last night, right? Yeah, I, I believe around the NFL. So, uh, you know, it, it's a little bit different. And can you still collect all the information pre-snap and during the snap uh, as a young guy coming from Northern Illinois? Uh, uh, you know, in, in in that experience, and some people. Uh, it can be a challenge, and so that's where that's why coaches love experience. Because mm-hmm. when you have more and more games and tons of preseason games and four or five, six seasons under your belt, you've been there, done that before. You've sort of seen a lot of things, and you're you know you, you, you make the right decisions time and time again. And uh, you know, hopefully, you know that's a huge learning experience for both BB and Manning, because that's happened to every quarterback who's run that play in this offense, whether it's in practice or a game or a preseason game. I'm in seven on seven. You know, all these things, you've had situations where the the receiver thought it was man-to-man coverage. It was act, or thought it was zone coverage. It was actually man coverage. You, you lead him because you're just, you know, if you can get the ball in his hands quicker, the better. Uh, and then he stops and you throw in front of him for an interception. It's literally happened to every quarterback that has ran that concept, which is pretty much, it's a very common concept in the NFL. Pretty much everybody runs it. So it's pretty much happened to everybody. And, and just to um, put one more point and a bow on the backup quarterback conversation, which... I will just say that we shouldn't have anyway because it doesn't matter because if Kirk Cousins goes down, you're in big trouble. Anyway, uh, Mannion's a really bright guy, and he played for Sean McVay. I don't think that Sean McVay has backup quarterbacks who are morons, and it's a similar offense to what they're doing in Los Angeles, so it makes a lot of sense to have Sean Mannion here. The fact that he's a good thrower of the football, I mean, I, I, I think that's why he's number two. And somebody on my Twitter oh, I, brought up, like, that you you could see why there's a debate within fans. Like, what are they seeing in this Mannion guy when Sloter plays so well? But there are many other factors, is just the point. Yeah, you, you do have to put, uh, even as a media person sometimes, a little trust and faith in the coaching staff. I mean... You know, at the end of the day, they're with these guys every single day, off season, OTAs, training camp, meetings, practice, you know, weight room, cafeteria, you know, I mean, wh- whatever it might be there, you have to sort of believe that they're going to make the decision that's best for their football team to try to win football games because if they don't win football games, they're going to get fired. So they're not going to put a guy as the number two guy if they don't think like he's the number two guy and better than the number three guy. So right. at the end of the day, you have to put their trust and faith in that. Uh, and I, again, I, I think he's playing fine. They're very different quarterbacks. I think we can say that, right? If you're looking, he is much more of a pocket passer. Uh, not that he's a bad athlete, but he's much more like a Matt Schaub type of you know quarterback, right? Uh, he's a pocket passer with a good arm. It seems he's pretty accurate. He's not super mobile. He's not a creator, uh, just like Kirk Cousins is not a creator either. Uh, and Sloter is that. So it's just sort of this wild card's number three guy, which is nice to have. It's nice to have that change up uh, if for some reason you end up having to get to your number three quarterback. All right, let's take a break. When we come back, I want your notes on the first team offense. There were some good things. There were some not as good things uh, in last night's game. We will discuss Sage Rosenfels, Matthew Collar. You are listening to Purple Daily here on Score North. 
Football fans, it's Mackie here for Federated Insurance. You might not know this about me, but I've been a business owner a couple different times in my life. I can relate to the roller coaster ride, the never-ending sea of problems to solve, the exhilaration of those incremental wins. If you're a business owner, I recommend getting to know Federated, which has over a century of experience in protecting businesses and making them as successful as they can be. You want a company like Federated standing behind your business. Visit federatedinsurance.com to find your local representative. Federated Mutual Insurance Company. It's our business to protect yours. All right, back here on Purple Daily, Matthew Collar, Sage Rosenfels going through Sage's very detailed notes. Far too detailed for a preseason game, in my opinion, but very detailed notes. Um, so uh, from last night's win for the Vikings, 25-19, to 19, uh, usually what I do, Sage, is immediately when a preseason game is over, I forget about it forever and never talk about it again. But uh, at least for today, we'll continue to discuss what happened with the first-team offense. Uh, they took some big shots. They missed on a screen pass. A lot kind of happened in two drives, Sage. Give me uh, what's in the notebook from Kirk Cousins and the first-team offense from last night. Well, in particular, let's just start off with that first drive. They have a run for five yards. Nice way to start a football game. They go empty. They go a three-step drop. Uh, Kirk gets to his second read on that to uh, to Rudy for a first down. Great way to start the game. You know, two plays, first down. Uh, they go with a seven-man protection, a little plash, and, and run a smash concept. Uh, to Adam Thielen for five, six yards. They run a bootleg uh, for a first down after that. Uh, they go with a toss stretch uh, type play that doesn't get much yardage. They go jet sweep for a few. They got a third and two. So everything is going well. Okay, third and two. All right, let's see if we can get a first down. They don't. They run the ball. So that is something they will definitely talk about uh, in the meeting uh, today. Because uh, you know, in a real football game, I believe the ball is about the plus – 45 or something like that on just on the other side of the 50 yard line normally a punt from that situation right so they don't punt uh they go for it get a full back belly for for a first down so uh you know they end up getting a first down that's maybe not a total reality you know type of play um after that uh there is the screen play which may have gone for a touchdown if it's completed uh we can get into the details of that after i'm done with this drive uh it's a sam mike blitz uh, you know, Kirk uh, throws a screen, overthrows his, his running back, and uh, it's to Madison, so it, it's an incomplete pass. And they fumble a snap, third and 14 after that, basically a jailbreak along the offensive line. Kirk throws it away, and they punt. So that's the that's the, the good and the bad of the opening series. Okay, so let me give some explanations from the locker room on, on what happened there. The fumble, Cousins said that the offensive line was still trying to get a call out there, and he was trying to get the snap as fast as possible because they were running up to the line and, and going up-tempo. Um, should that still be happening at this point, or, or what? I mean, it's sort of kind of a, well, a weird thing. Yeah, so I'm not sure what the play was, but yeah, a lot of times, you know, the line is when you go on that quick count and you, you, I think I've already noticed this already in the preseason this year than what the Vikings did last year. Totally. And again, you know, Kubiak likes going on first on the first sound or sometimes you walk up the line and just go set up and they just snap it. All right. And, um, he does that like because he likes to get the defense off sort of off their, you know, regular timing, whether it's a run play, pass play, play action. You know, those types of things. If there's not a lot of thinking going on for the quarterback in particular or the offensive line, those are just good plays to, 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 uh, go on first sound. On that play, you know, when the line is sometimes, you know, they can't just go up there and make an easy call because the defense is trying to line up and they're trying to get their backers. We got a rookie center 
uh, out there right now. So yep. it might it might take an extra second for those guys to make their calls, right? So as a quarterback, you have to be conscious of that too. You know, yeah, it's first sound, but as I'm walking up, it looks like the defense is trying to get set, and I can see my center, my guards, they're talking because those guys got to make the first call. Then the tackles and tight ends got to make that second call. You know, it sort of has to work its way down the line. You know, the, the center and the guards, they have to figure out who are we working to and, and how are we going to do it? And then everyone sort of plays off of them, sort of how it works. So as a quarterback, you have to have a little patience on those types of plays, uh, uh, when you go on first sound and you can sort of tell that the offensive line is still trying to communicate, trying to get things, uh, you know, lined up correctly because what you don't want is to sort of try to fool them by going on quick count, but actually fool yourself and that your guys don't know who the heck they're blocking and ends up being a five-yard loss on the run. All right, the other one, the screen that, as you said, would have gone for 30 yards if not a touchdown. Alexander Madison is wide the heck open, uh, and Kirk Cousins overthrows him. Now, I think all of our instant reactions were, oh, Kirk, what happened there? You just overthrew the guy. Uh, so I asked Kirk about it after the game, and he said that uh, basically the running back thought he was going to throw the ball sort of right on the spot, and he was trying to lead him. So another one of those preseason miscommunications. Exactly right. I mean, in, the, in some ways, very similar to the Chad Beebe, Sean Mannion interception in, in a way. So on that play, that was what they call a Sam dog, Sam dog cover one. So the Sam linebacker is blitzing. All right, the, the offensive line is blocking the four down. They're sliding to that Will linebacker, and the Mike linebacker actually has – the running back and man-to-man coverage, and everybody else is in some form of man-to-man coverage. So when that Sam blitzes, the running back then walks up to him like he's going to block him, and then he uh, lets him go by, and then he runs, and, and obviously, and, and, and Cousins has to get him the ball, uh, you know, and throw the ball over that Sam linebacker's head. The thing is, when when the running back uh, blocks in that uh, protection, a lot of times in the mic. He's an add-on. They call that a green dog. He's an add-on blitz. So what's called as a Sam blitz ends up being a Sam Mike blitz, right? So in that situation, and, and whether it's a Sam blitz or a Sam Mike you know, type of blitz, the running back, after he bluffs that Sam linebacker, he needs to then run out sort of into the flat and more stay on the move. He's got to give himself, himself some extra space between him and the Sam linebacker so Cousins has an easier throw. It's hard to get the ball over you know, a six-foot three guys, you know, hands who's going to jump up and try to knock it down uh, and then drop it just on the other side, right? So he's got to more stay on the move uh, and run away from the defense, basically. So when it's zone coverage and there's no blitz, that's usually when the running back steps up into the line, runs to the right, uh, sort of turns around, you know, throw him the ball. Uh, he sort of hooks up in a way because versus zone, again, you don't want to catch the ball on the run. You want to catch the ball and get uh, get up north and south, sort of near the numbers or inside the numbers most of the time. But versus man coverage, man, he's got to run away and give Kirk Cousins a place to throw the football. So, again, miscommunication. Uh, again, a young player who makes that mistake, a running back. This is why uh, these preseason games uh, are important because that was a good lesson learned not just for the running back, uh, but for all the running backs and the quarterbacks. You know, sometimes you have to make those mistakes to go, okay, in the game you're going to bluff them, you're going to stay on the move. Uh, and almost be more of a flat route, uh, and then I'm going to have some space to get you the football. So uh, a learning experience for for the Vikings, and you know they're trying to throw these screens and didn't have as much success last night as they had last week. 
Uh, but it's definitely going to be something that, that's an important part of their passing game. So let me uh, pull out, because that was extremely uh, football-y and bigger picture here on the offense. Um, I think, Sage, that in terms of what Gary Kubiak and Kevin Stefanski are trying to do and how they logically match up with the skill set of Kirk Cousins, it has been my take throughout training camp that it just looks a lot smarter. And when they run a screen like that, the, the types of screens that worked so well for Pat Shermer to, to the running backs that just seemed to disappear last year, and they started throwing receiver screens all the time and trying to have Stephon Diggs run after catch, it worked occasionally, but I really liked the running back screens to Jarek McKinnon every once in a while to Latavius Murray to Delvin Cook before he got hurt in 2017. And I think that when you're trying to take stress off of the quarterback that they want to hand off to take stress off the quarterback get big plays on Delvin Cook's shoulders that this is a great way to do it and it's also built for this offensive line this offensive line Sage is not going to plow people five yards back and have the running back walk behind them like Le'Veon Bell or something when he was with Pittsburgh I mean they're going to need to find ways to get these guys out there get a little space and to me Asking Kirk Cousins to throw the ball three or four yards to get 20 on a screen if you hit big on it is perfect. I I think it's exactly what they should be doing, and it just makes so much more sense. Throwing balls deep to Adam Thielen one-on-one, it just makes a lot of sense to me how this is coming together. Okay, so this style of offensive line, you know, and that they're trying with Rick Dennison, that they're trying to implement here, and I guess is, you know, draft and sign as, as this team goes forward. Uh, if this offensive staff stays here for a while, they're not the, you know, the Bryant McKinney, Phil Lodeholt, you know, six foot eight, 360 pound guys. That's not that style. They're usually smaller guys who can really run, consistently run in this outside zone scheme, right? So those types of guys, they do struggle. That's the problem with it is they do struggle in straight pass protection, you know, left tackle, mono, mono, left guard, mono, mono. You know, those type of things. That's where the struggle is because they might only be 305 pounds or 295. I mean, Mark Schlereth was like 290 at the end of his career, you know, playing with the Broncos. So smaller guys don't do as well in straight pass protection. That is the negative. But another positive of the fact that the outside zone of the stretch and now the play action stuff is good is on screen plays. Those guys, since they're a little bit smaller, they can get out and run. They can get out in space. Uh, and then they can, they can block people downfield. They, they're agile. You know, Big Mac was not, Brian McKinney was not much of a screen left tackle. He was not a guy who could get out in front and really run down the field. He was a straight pass blocker, uh, and run blocker. So, uh, you know, having these little bit smaller guys, they can be better in space. Again, it's, you're going to have 35 passes in a game on average between 30 and 40. Uh, how many are going to be screened that are, are passes? but they're not where the line has to truly pass protect for four or five seconds, right? Mm-hmm. So yep. it's another way to throw a pass without having to sometimes expose a weakness of your team. Here's where I'm concerned, though, about the first-team offense. If we're looking at Matt's notebook, it says Pat Elfline, and then it's circled in red and has fire around it and says this is fine. If people are on the Internet, they kind of know what I'm talking about. Um, but it's just like it was not good. Okay, he was not playing against Akeem Hicks last night. He was playing against Puna Ford, who looks like a good player, but are you kidding me with some of the ways that Pat Elfline was thrown around in that game? And look, I mean, I've, I've defended Pat Elfline as a guy who went through a lot last offseason and then had to come back and immediately play Aaron Donald and Fletcher Cox, and I thought that was a really tough situation, but... 
You know, sometimes we act like moving an offensive lineman to a different position. You just snap your fingers and, oh, the guy's a tackle or the guy's a guard or whatever else. And this team has done this so many times. I mean, the, the thing with Mike Remmers, oh, well, you know, he's not a tackle. Now he's a guard. And he's a horrendous guard. But what did you expect? And with Elfline, I'm... I think that the interior of the line should be a concern, even though I like what I've seen from Bradbury. He has not been practicing against Linval Joseph. He's been practicing against Hercules Mata'afa, which uh, there's a pretty big difference. So, I mean, I, I know that this offensive line is a little better than it was last year, but I'm not convinced that it's going to be way better if Pat Elfline plays like he did last night. Well, there there were some issues last night with sort of lack of movement. You know, in this scheme, you have to have movement along those guys. You have to make the defenders run and get some push, uh, not just uh, uh, laterally, you know, down the line of scrimmage, but also, you know, vertically north and south. You have to get some pu- some push down the field. And there were a lot of either stalemates or just some sort of push sort of into the backfield where the running backs are doing a good job getting the ball back to the line of scrimmage or getting a yard or two. Uh, whether that was the beginning of the game or the end of the game. I thought that was something noticeable. They had some nice runs, uh, but they didn't have that consistent push, uh, that vertical push down the field. So that usually does start more in the middle. You know, the, the center and the two, the two guards are usually more responsible for that push. Uh, the tackles are on the edge, you know, double teaming with a tight end or on the backside cutting off or something. So that is something that uh, this team needs to improve on is getting that some of that vertical push. So even when there's really nothing there and the defense does a good job, the Vikings can still get three or four yards uh, on a run if the running back just sort of shoves it up in there and they get some push down the field. They didn't get that much uh, of that last night. On some plays, they did. Uh, but Puna Ford, uh, the D-tackle for Seattle, man, he was – He's uh, a beast. Uh, he's a beast. And I, I believe he was a lower-drafted guy. He was, you look yeah. that up really quick. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I'm a big 12 guy, Iowa State, and I remember him uh, in college. I'm like, man, this guy is tough. He's not as big. I, I called a Texas game. Uh, for Iowa State, five eleven, and, and uh, he's five eleven, but he is three hundred pounds or three whatever he is, three eleven, powerful. Yeah. yeah, so he's a very you know shorter guys like that. And I played with one in college. Uh, some Midwestern folks may remember the name James Reed, uh, who I played with at Iowa State. He was right at six foot, uh, about two hundred ninety pounds, and and uh, you know wasn't tall, but played in the NFL for about eight years. Extremely strong and powerful. And those th- that player, those nose tackle positions. You think you want that nose tackle to be like Pat Williams, you know, 360. But sometimes when guys are shorter, they have a leverage advantage over the centers and guards because they're so low to the ground. And Puna Ford definitely has that. And he has become a very good uh, nose tackle and made uh, the interior of the Vikings offensive line look pretty average last night. He uh, was undrafted, actually. And if you're talking about (laughs) um, from Pat Elfline's perspective, even though Ford is an impressive player, you're getting run the backfield by an undrafted guy, even if he's good. I'm just saying, I mean, this is not Akeem Hicks. This is not uh, Kenny Clark. This is not Mike Daniels. This is a guy who's, you know, pretty good, but not a yeah. superstar. And that shouldn't be happening. And I saw Pro Football Focus already posted this morning in their write-up that he had the lowest grade on the team, and that's what he had a lot last year. I think that should be a concern. And here's where I would be really worried about it, Sage, is – like you, you're right about ways that they're going to try to work around some of their shortcomings and use the smaller, more athletic offensive linemen, and, and that's all well and good. But at some point, there's a third down and nine, and you need somebody to block Fletcher Cox. That's going to happen in a game. You need somebody so, to block so, Grady Jarrett, and I think this is going to be a problem. Well, so maybe we should go back 
and start over and really look at that second offensive line in these preseason games. Maybe, you know, we got to look at these guys and go, hey, who would be the next guy up uh, if Elfline doesn't play well, if one of these guys gets hurt? Uh, and, they, and it can be who is the sixth guy right now in particular, who's that extra interior guy that maybe would be a better combination if if we consistently see Elfline not playing as well uh, in the preseason, keep grading low on all these PFF rankings and, and those types of things. I mean, is there somebody else that's better uh, for the spot? It is a transition moving from center to guard. Uh, you know, usually that can be done, uh, but uh, you know, guards are more by themselves. Centers are usually sort of the uh, they're usually the, the the second guy double teaming with the guard. But a lot of times, guard the other guard ends up being by himself, right? So. Um, it, it can be a more challenged position. Maybe that's something that we're actually obviously going to have to keep a close eye on uh, throughout the rest of the preseason and, and into the regular season. All right. When uh, we return, we'll see what else is in your notebook. And PFF has put out their quarterback rankings, 1 through 32. And I got a couple that I want to ask you about, Sage. We'll be right back uh, to wrap things up. This is Purple Daily on Score North. 342 here at Score North. Time for the Score North download. All right, Twins fans, there's a pretty good weekend for you. Texas Rangers, Minnesota Twins down in Texas. There's a four-game series starting on Thursday, and it was four wins in a row for the Twins. It was a 5-1 and one road trip, while your nearest rivals, the Cleveland Indians, they had a four-game road trip out in New York. Well, that's actually a seven-game road trip out in New York because they take on the Mets starting tomorrow. But it was four games against the Yankees. And they only won two of four, which means the AL Central lead jumps up to two and a half. Who was most impressive to you, Twins fans, over that four-game series against the Rangers? Let us know over at Score North on Twitter, at SKOR North on Twitter. That's been your Score North download. Now back to the final segment today of Purple Daily. All right, final segment, Matthew Collar, Sage Rosenfels. This has been the most football-y hour of your life, and there is much more to come as Sage and I will be together doing this three times a week all throughout football season. If you missed any of the show, Judd Zolgad's reaction to the kicking competition uh, from earlier, you know you want that in your life, then uh, go to iTunes, download the show, two hours of football every single day, and also leave a rating there as well. I would prefer five stars, but... Do whatever uh, your heart tells you to do. Uh, all right, Sage. So uh, before we get into what uh, is remaining in your notebook from last night. Um, three pages. Three, three pages of notes. Three pages of notes on a preseason game. You have a problem. Um, I thought I thought Stefanski used too much product in his hair, too. I, I, he, <laughs> he looks like one of that those. That was in the notebook? Sort of east, well, you know, I was just sort of thinking back to some of the things uh, <laughs> other than the football players on the team, though. Thoughts from last night. Um, yeah, we were trying to devise a Kubiak cam because at, at one point they showed Kubiak up there and he's sort of hiding behind the iPad. It's like, we need a Kubes cam to get the reaction to every play from Gary Kubiak. Like, what's his face doing? Does he look disappointed? <laughs> uh, so, uh, a, a, anyway, he's pretty, he's pretty uh, consistent. He doesn't he doesn't have big highs and lows, which he's is pretty good at staying. Makes it better. <laughs> Like that makes Kubiak yeah. Cam better. Is something great happens and he just sort of is sta- sitting there, and something terrible happens and he's just sort of sitting there. Kubiak Cam needs to be a thing. Um, all right, so you wanted to discuss Xavier Rhodes, and uh, I think that you are right, Sage, in thinking that it could be a concern with Xavier Rhodes just how he has looked in training camp practices, in preseason, and. Uh, even from last year, if he was great last year, I wouldn't 
bring it up so much, but if he's not really good, then this defense is not going to be the same. Yeah, I mean, Zimmer loves to play a lot of man coverage. Corner has always been a position that they have drafted really highly. A lot of guys, they also have developed a lot of guys. And it's sort of, uh, you know, his expertise, Mike Zimmer's expertise is that cornerback position. And Xavier Rhodes, fantastic corner in this league for a number of years. And I didn't think he played as well last year. Uh, uh, as he had the previous couple of years, and he's got a big contract. I'm not sure what his cap number is, but it's definitely in the double digits. Uh, he's a very well-paid corner. And I didn't think he played as well last year, not at that level. I didn't think teams were scared of him as much. I felt like he had more, you know, pass interferences and, and holding penalties or illegal contact. Uh, just he, he wasn't sort of like that um, shut-down, you know, corner. You know, Patrick Peterson, to me, is everyone stays away from Patrick Peterson. Rhodes didn't seem to have that sort of mystique last year when I watched him play. He wasn't as consistent uh, and teams attacked him. So, you know, coming to this year, I'm sure, okay, is he going to, you know, sort of step it up and and, maybe he's had a bad year, maybe he had an injury throughout that year. And and so something to keep an eye on for this season. Uh, You know, last night there was a third and 10 in the ball game. Uh, The the, the CLC Hawks ran a fairly simple sort of stack concept. He sort of loses his man. Uh, and, the, and the receiver gets about four or five yards of separation, three, four yards of separation from uh, Xavier. And it's a pretty easy, you know, 20-yard out route throw for a first down. Uh, and, you know, third and tens, that's where you want to be. Uh, and two-man coverage, that's the sort of the best uh, for a DB that loves man-to-man coverage. Now you got help over the top, so now you can really cheat. Uh, and he got beat, uh, you know, versus a fairly young wide receiver. And so that's just something that stuck out in my mind. Now, you know, earlier, uh, another time you and I were talking about, you know, trade scenarios and not getting into trade scenarios. But I'll tell you what, if the right player, uh, uh, came available, you know, if Trent Williams in Washington with that, you know, he's a premier you left. You want tackle. this trade so bad. If somehow that trade could happen, like, I think I'd be okay with it. The problem is, uh, and uh, believe me, I really like Xavier Rhodes. This is not like a hit at him, but the problem is that we've got, you know, Mike Hughes coming off injury. Uh, not healthy yet. We got a couple, a guy or two suspended, uh, who can't play for the first four or even eight games, right? So they don't have the depth, uh, to be able to, you know, possibly make a trade for a, a position that they have a lot of good players. There's just an issue this year with, with injuries and, and suspensions. And so I don't think anything's going to happen with Xavier Rhodes, but if all those guys were healthy and nobody was suspended, I would think that much salary might be a way to get some of that off the books. Still have a pretty, you know, pretty good players at that position and maybe be able to bring in, uh, either draft picks or, uh, uh, you know, quality player, uh, at a, uh, at a position of need, uh, for the Minnesota Vikings, maybe offense. And, and, but right now the position of need is cornerback. He just needs to play better. Yeah. I definitely will wonder as we go into the season whether they handled this situation properly, whether they should have moved on from Xavier Rhodes just because the age curve for somebody his size as a corner is very tricky. And uh, the fact that he did dip last year, I mean, if he doesn't play well, we're definitely going to go back and say, man, should you have made a move there and signed somebody else or improved the depth because the the depth looks brutal? Chris Boyd didn't even play. Um, and you have Duke Thomas celebrating, thinking a fumble has already been picked up when it hasn't, and just uh, so the, the, there's not a whole lot of confidence there with the secondary. Um, all right, so what else you got in your notebook before I tell you where PFF has ranked Kirk Cousins? Uh, some other thoughts on last night. Lost another challenge on an out route to sure uh, Lockett, right? So we I missed definitely on a challenge happened. there. 
Um, you know, Zilstra's done a nice job. He, he, he went on an out route last night versus bump coverage. He ran, I think he had maybe three out route uh, catches last night uh, on pretty good throws by the quarterback. Uh, I don't think our punters are getting, uh, uh, our punter is getting enough uh, hang time. By the way, uh, Vedvik, I think, is maybe historically one of the most Minnesota Viking names uh, that this team has probably ever had on their roster. So two times last night he had lower punts that, there was about 10 yards or so of space between the, the returner and the guys running down to try to cover. Uh, and that, that's not good. You want to have more hang time and, and maybe a little bit less distance. Uh, and, the, and all the coverage units last night, I was a little bit concerned. They got the ball out to the 35 to the 40 on a couple uh, kickoffs uh, returns. And so that's something that we haven't discussed as much. Obviously, a new uh, special teams coordinator. Uh, this year, right? I, I thought the last guy was one of the better guys in the business, and, and I thought he did a pretty good job. Obviously, he's moved on, and uh, and, and I think he was the Cleveland Browns, if that's correct. Um, and so that you know, we have to you know, talk about that throughout this year. You know, the, the third aspect of the football team is, is a special teams unit. I don't think that's where it quite needs to be yet. Um, BC Johnson should have fair caught that ball, but the double team was terrible uh, on the on the gunner running down to try to make that tackle when we were returning the punt. Um, what else? Mike Boone, another nice job last yeah, night. Irv Smith Jr. catching three or four balls last night. Did a nice job. Caught a touchdown pass versus a busted coverage. Uh, Jerron Kirst did a nice job, uh, with a couple of run stops getting in the backfield, uh, sort of reading the play before it happened out of bunch sets. He sort of, what they call shoot, he shot his gun, uh, and sort of went for it and made a couple of plays. Um, Holton Hill made a couple of good plays. That was also had a pass interference and had that really bad hit to the helmet of Paxton Lynch, which is, uh, you know, which was just sort of a dumb play. I will say this. I can't stand it when these quarterbacks slide really late. Yeah. And yeah. sort of like, you know, it's, it's, to me, it's unfair to the defense, whether it's a linebacker, safety, a corner. You slide so late. They're going to, you know, at some point, they're going to have to try to hit you. Uh, and there's a little time there. So these guys that slide late, I don't feel like they should be protected as much, but you still can't hit them right in the face. And that happened last night. Uh, the fumble recovery that never happened. Uh, that was something else. I'm sure that, you know, somebody be razzed a little bit in means today. Um, you know, what else we got here? Uh, and, and that's about it. Uh, I think overall, Mike Boone's been a nice, uh, addition. I think that if he had to play, uh, start a game or a couple games this year or get some real time, 10, 15 carries, I'd be okay with that. I think he's, uh, uh done a really nice job as a, as a, uh, sort of a, I don't know, a game breaker, but a guy who, who can make an explosive play as that third string running back. Yeah, and he has a freakish amount of athleticism. Um he was one of the highest in terms of like your three cone in terms of your vertical jump and all those things and the guy is just jacked. So when you see him make that cut and and just hit an extra gear, that's kind of what you're looking for for a playmaker and if they decided to keep him and not Amir Abdullah, I'd be fine with that. I I don't think that would be a bad idea. Um I, I think I'd be fine with that too in particular you know, Abdullah had that fumble yeah. You know, versus no contact last week. And I think, you know, he's another playmaking guy, but the question is, uh, you know, can, can Mike Boone do more? Can he be a kickoff return guy? You know, something like that. Do, right. do something else. Is he good on special teams? Tony, those special teams, man, are really, really important. I promise you on plays like that missed double team that BC Johnson, I'm getting, you know, plowed over, you know, coach will, you know, the, a good coordinator will say, Hey, you know, Hey, who wants to do this job better than these guys? You know, a guy like, uh, Mike Boone should raise his hand and say, put me in there, coach, because the third string run- running back, he should be looking to try to be on special teams if he can. Uh, all right. So last thing is the um, 
Pro Football Focus ranked Kirk Cousins 14th um, out of 32 NFL quarterbacks. And he's just ahead of Matthew Stafford, just behind Jared Goff and Deshaun Watson. I think Kirk um, Kirk is ranked very much properly by this. I, I mean, that, that's, you know, I, if he maximizes his talent, he's probably a little bit better. And if he doesn't, he's probably a little bit worse. But that makes a ton of sense to me. Yeah, I, I've always thought that he's somewhere in that mix. You know, he was paid like a top five quarterback when he signed that contract. But honestly... You, you, you really can't go off of just because of the sort of the economics of the NFL. You can't always go off of, is he the, you know, a top five guy because he's played like a top five guy, in particular at this quarterback position. It's incredible some guys that are making, I mean, Tom Brady's making like 20 million. There's like 18 quarterbacks making more money than him. Uh, and obviously I, I think he's a top six, seven guy at this point or whatever. I think he's obviously a very, very good player. So uh, I've always thought Kirk is somewhere in the top 15. Um, and you know, when you're an NFL team, uh, I think you can win a Super Bowl if you have sort of one of the top half guys in the league. I've always sort of felt that and, and teams are looking for a, a franchise guy, but if you, you know, you can't always get Aaron Rodgers or Drew Brees or, uh, a Russell Wilson, these guys that I think are in the top five in the league. Uh, you, you can't always just get those guys. They're hard to come by, but if you can get a top 15 guy, top 16 guy, now you have a chance to win the Super Bowl if you put the right football team uh, around him and, you know, a, a few balls uh, bounce your way. All right, Sage, we will do this again soon. If there's anything left in the notebook, we'll get to it, and we'll look forward as well to one more preseason game, the all-important one, and then we've got the fourth one, which, my gosh, why does this still happen? And uh, we'll grind our way through it. We're almost there. Um, to regular season actual football. And uh, this next one will give us later in the week an opportunity to talk about what you think of Kyler Murray and the Cliff Kingsbury offense. So, Sage, thank you for your time. I'm uh, looking forward to it, man. Sounds good. Chat with you Wednesday. All right, coming up next, Mackie and Judd with Rami talking a little Vikings preseason and uh, Twins as well, sweeping the Rangers. So that's coming up next. You are listening to Purple Daily, or you have been listening to Purple Daily. Uh, You are still on Score North. Uh, We'll catch you tomorrow. Whether it's Baker's Simple Truth Turkey or Mac and Cheese with Murray's English Cheddar or pie made with fresh Cosmic Crisp apples, there are many dishes we look forward to sharing during the holidays. And Baker's has all the fresh ingredients you need to turn today's holidays into tomorrow's memories. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Get more ways to save at the Buy 5 or More Save $1 each sale. Just buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Bakers, fresh for everyone.